This podcast is intended for entertainment and opinion. Nothing discussed is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 988 or use the resources listed in the episode description. To see the sources and other resources mentioned in this episode, you can visit psychologicallymindedpod.com. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming topics, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. And finally, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes as they post. Enjoy this episode! Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I'm your host, Grace Fowler, and today we are talking about some reality TV drama. If you are not a watcher of any of the Bravo TV reality shows, then this episode may not seem so interesting to you, but I do encourage you to stick around and listen because I think there are some interesting relationship dynamics to talk about, even if you don't know who everyone is. For those of you who do follow Bravo and specifically Vanderpump Rules, I know you already know exactly what I'm going to be talking about. So for the uninitiated, there is a reality TV show called Vanderpump Rules, which focuses on a set of restaurants in West Hollywood who that are owned by uh, a woman named Lisa Vanderpump, who was part of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills franchise and is quite the staple in reality TV, West Hollywood and Beverly Hills. But this show, Vanderpump Rules, focuses on her restaurants and the core cast of characters were all people who have worked at her restaurants at the beginning of the show and now are, uh, I guess, working as reality TV stars, but have other projects um, as well. So the show has been running for about 10 years. We are in the middle of season 10 right now. And about two months ago, some really intense news came out about one of the most long-running couples on the show. That news was that Tom Sandoval, who has been a main character on the show for the entire time it's been running, has been cheating on his long-term girlfriend, Ariana Maddox. The couple has been in a relationship for nine years. They've been together for basically as long as they've been on the show. And Tom cheated on Ariana with another cast member of the show who is, I believe... 13 years younger than him, and her name is Raquel. Raquel also used to be in a relationship with someone who is on the show and was very good friends with Tom, whose name was James. They ended their engagement at the end of season nine, so into season 10, she was single. Tom Sandoval was not, and although the show has not caught up to the point where we are starting to see the fallout of this affair, the news, social media posts, blogs, podcasts, you name it, have all been abuzz with this drama. And the most recent, like, development, I guess, in the drama is that Tom Sandoval went on Howie Mandel's podcast, of all places, to talk about his quote-unquote side of the story. Now, I know it's a little meta that I'm doing a podcast episode about a podcast episode, but I really want to talk about some of the things that Tom Sandoval said because I think we are getting a very good preview of what his narrative is going to be at the reunion um, of this season of Vanderpump Rules. And it's important to start talking about the way that this narrative is damaging and represents a lot of misogyny and a lot of stigma about mental health. 
So that's why it's important to talk about on my show. <laughs> but I also like want to be able to get into it because it's a fascinating topic. I feel like everywhere I go, somebody is talking about it. It's like always on social media. There's a lot to be said about it. And after the reunion, I think there might be space to do like a more in-depth episode. But this is going to be kind of like a informal, not as well-researched episode of this show. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. And let's go ahead and just dive into what the heck Tom Sandoval has been saying. Okay. So a few days ago, Tom Sandoval made an appearance on a podcast that is run by Howie Mandel and his daughter. And the podcast episode is titled, Tom Sandoval Finally Gives His Side of the Story or something like that. So it's definitely already a little bit biased toward Tom Sandoval. And I think the unique thing about this is that Howie Mandel, the host of the podcast, has no idea who anyone else involved is except for Tom. He apparently, his producer is friends with Tom and so they've met before and it becomes very clear that Sandoval picked this podcast to go on because he would be received in a friendly way whereas plenty of other places where he could be interviewed have been pretty upfront about calling him out about how damaging this affair was. So it makes sense to me that he picked someone who was not only already going to be like biased toward his story, but also doesn't know the other players in the story. And so if you watch this podcast episode, which I don't recommend, it's really boring, but if you do, you'll notice that Howie continuously gives Tom Sandoval a like out for his behavior and never has a conversation about how Tom's behavior may have affected his partner because Howie doesn't know Tom's partner at all. And that is such a like toxic combination for this situation because Tom is now getting this person who's essentially enabling or justifying his narrative about the breakup. And I want to say up front that this is my own like personal bias. You may disagree with it, but in instances where there is infidelity, I think that the person who was in the relationship that like cheated bears the brunt of the responsibility for the affair and the like mistress or I don't know what is the word for men who are mistresses like the side person they don't bear as much responsibility. So in this situation especially because there was one couple and the quote-unquote mistress was like a single person the brunt of the responsibility is on Tam Tom Sandoval. He was the one in a relationship. Like, if we're divvying it up, like, 70%, 75% of this is on him for not ending his relationship before pursuing a new one. Now, the other person, Raquel, I can't think also deserves to take some responsibility because she knew who she was screwing around with and she was very good friends with Tom's partner, so... It's not that she just didn't know that he was in a relationship. Like, she was very aware and very close with his girlfriend as well. So, of course, she still bears some responsibility. But my feeling is in situations like this, where there is, like, a couple, where there's infidelity happening, and the person who's involved in the affair is also not in a relationship, the brunt of the responsibility, the person who has to, like, own up, apologize, take ownership for things, is the person who was in the relationship. Same if, like, if Ariana had cheated on Tom with somebody else, she bears the brunt of the relationship or bears the brunt of the responsibility for 
being unfaithful because she was the one in the relationship. So it's like, I don't, it's not gendered. It's not like men bear more responsibility, but like the person who was already in a committed relationship is the one who should take responsibility. And this is a good opportunity for me to talk about this idea of responsibility versus blame um, because those are technically different concepts and this is something that actually comes out of cognitive processing therapy, this idea of uh, responsibility versus blame versus unforeseeable circumstances. And cognitive processing therapy is for people who have been through trauma. And I don't, I wouldn't say that this affair is like a traumatic event, but in where we're looking at it as an event where like there are multiple pieces of the puzzle where responsibility has to be taken. And Tom Sandoval has done his hardest, his darndest in this interview to take responsibility for a very small portion of the issue and to try to shift blame to people who maybe don't deserve that blame. So let's, let me talk about this idea real quick. So in CPT, there's, there's this idea of three levels of kind of like responsibility or, or where blame can be placed. The first level is kind of unforeseeable or unpredictable events. And those are things that nobody bears responsibility for. There's no way to predict that they would happen. There's no reason to blame yourself for an unforeseeable event. So, for example, if, you know, a, a hurricane happens and ruins your your property and house and, like, you know, rips the roof off of your house, the responsibility for who damaged the roof is the hurricane. And that was something that's unforeseeable, not something that you could blame yourself for because there was no way to predict that the hurricane would land the way that it did and take off your roof. And so the kind of understanding there is it's useless to blame oneself for unforeseeable circumstances because nobody had any control over them. If we apply this to the Tom Sandoval Raquel affair, there really aren't any unforeseeable circumstances. Now, I guess you could say like having chemistry for another person, you could say there's no way to predict that would happen. Um, I don't know. I would disagree with that because some of the ways in which chemistry is discovered is by spending inordinate amounts of time with people and uh, spending one-on-one -on -one time with them. And I don't know if that was the most appropriate decision to make um, given that one of those people was in a relationship. But I digress. So that's the first level is unforeseeable. The second level is this idea of responsibility. And the, the understanding of to take responsibility for something means you played a role in the event, but you didn't intend the outcome. So for example, let's say um, in a like accident situation, like a hit and run. Well, maybe not a hit and run, but like an accident, like someone is driving a car and um, runs like runs into someone who, who ran a red light. So the person who runs into the person who ran the red light does play a role in it because they crashed into the other person, but they didn't drive through that red light with the intention of causing a car crash. Like maybe they ran through the red light because they were in a rush. Maybe they were irritated because they felt like they'd waited for long, but their intended outcome of driving through that red light was not to cause harm or cause an accident. So they can take responsibility for that thing, but they don't need to take like the blame for it, which takes us to the last level, which is fault or blameworthiness. And this is when the action has intended harm 
and the outcome was intended. So this would be like if someone premeditated a murder, right? Like they intended to harm someone to the point of killing them and they intended that that to be the outcome. They didn't accidentally do it. They they did it purposefully. In a situation like an affair, I think the lines between responsibility and blameworthiness are a little difficult to draw because I think most people, I will not say everyone, but I think most people do not necessarily intend to hurt their partner when they engage in infidelity. And that may be hard to hear, but I think that most people, when they engage in something like infidelity, it is for selfish reasons, but it is not often for the purpose of harming the partner. It is more for like the gratification of their needs, their ego, etc., etc. I think that there are some people who do get into affairs for purposes of like revenge, like to get back at their partner. I think most people do it to have their needs met without wanting to hurt the other person. I also think that in a case like this, like, and this is a little bit speculation, but like in terms of if we're thinking about who who bears responsibility or blame for hurting Ariana in this situation as she is like the victim, like Raquel bears responsibility because I don't know if she intended to harm Ariana if she was being told by Tom, we're almost broken up, this relationship is over, like Ariana doesn't care about me anymore. Raquel would not have known that her actions would have harmed Ariana to the extent that they did. I think there's still some like you should know that if you sleep with your friend's partner, even if you're broken up, that that will do some harm. Um, But I think her role in it like takes falls more on like that responsibility level where maybe the outcome that wasn't intended to be harmful. For Tom, for the person who does the cheating, and especially in this situation, I think there's a little, a little bit of it does need to fall under this idea of fault and, and blameworthiness. That he was intentionally, and he says this in the podcast, he was trying, apparently, trying to end his relationship with Ariana. He was apparently aware of how much it would affect her. And so, and, and was like unable to stop himself from being with Raquel. So if you knew that that's a deal breaker for Ariana, that if you cheated on her, you knew that's a deal breaker, you knew the supposed consequences of it would harm her, and then still move forward with the behavior, there's a little bit of it where you you knew what the outcome was going to be. Maybe he didn't 100% intend the outcome to be that Ariana gets her feelings hurt and gets like devastated by a breakup. But I think after nine years, you you kind of know how your partner's going to react if you do something like that. So I'll, I, I just bring this up to kind of illustrate because this is an important part of trauma treatment that when people go through trauma, there is a big tendency for them to blame themselves for the event that happened. Even if it's something that was like completely outside their control, like being part of a natural disaster or like in the cases of certain types of assault, um... Like, people will say things like, well, I shouldn't have been wearing that or shouldn't have been there at that time. If I hadn't done those things, then I wouldn't have been the victim of this crime or I wouldn't have been the victim of this trauma. That is essentially, like, distorted thinking because it's not true that, first of all, it's not true that only one person could bear the full responsibility for an event. Like, 
especially in the cases of things like assault, like the perpetrator is the one who bears the responsibility. The victim, there's no way for you to possibly bear all the responsibility. And the second way is that it mixes up the relationship between like what is unforeseeable, what is unintended, and what is intended. And so when people have been through a trauma say things like, I blame myself or it was my fault that this happened, that is kind of being at a level that doesn't match the reality of the situation. And although there are situations where like maybe the person does bear some responsibility or, you know, did make some decisions that put them in a bad situation, it does not make the trauma their fault. And the difference between fault and responsibility is massive. Like there's a huge, huge ravine (laughs) there between someone who is to blame for something and someone who can take responsibility for something. And so I just thought that this was a nice time to bring up this idea of responsibility versus blame um, because I think it often gets thrown around in situations like the Tom Sandoval situation where people are trying to figure out like how do we hold someone accountable Um, and, you know, because we try to be trauma-informed here, like, it's just, I think it's an important conversation to have when talking about, like, the way that trauma can impact how people view themselves and the world. Again, not saying that anyone involved in this situation has gone through a trauma, but it is still a situation where, yeah, accountability needs to be taken, regardless of how much Tom Sandoval doesn't like that idea. So that was my first, like, thought after I watched this interview. I was like, let's talk about responsibility versus blame. My second thought was that this interview was a piece de resistance of misogyny. Like, a perfect example of how insidious misogyny can be in the way in which men talk about women. And because there was a woman involved in the interview, it is so much harder to point out because... It seems like a woman is co-signing on this conversation. So I wanted to point out a few of the things that I thought were a little misogynistic, uh, especially because I have watched all 10 seasons of the show and have seen Tom Sandoval be incredibly misogynistic in other circumstances. So I feel like I can spot it pretty well. Um, But also this interaction between these two men highlights how maybe it was unintended, maybe it's only responsibility and not blame, but highlights how when there are people having conversations about certain marginalized groups or, you know, people who belong to those groups, it can be very easy to forget about kind of the power imbalances in that situation. And the people from the uh, not marginalized group can sometimes co-sign on each other's Um, let's just say biased ways of thinking. Um, And so this, I think, is just a microcosm of that situation. So obviously the first way this shows up is that Howie and Tom are talking about Ariana without her being in the room and are talking about her, you know, I guess you could say essentially behind her back. Now, Howie's daughter is his co-host on the podcast and she is the one who watches the show. And there are a few times where she throws things out at Tom to just be like, you know, can you clarify the timeline when you did start cheating? Can you do this? You can do that. But Howie is like really the main one interacting with Tom. It's the podcast is named after him. So that makes sense. But one of the things that he does consistently throughout the interview is say things like, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. It wasn't like she was your wife or it wasn't like 
um, she was, you guys were married or engaged or anything like that. And he consistently downplays the level of commitment of the relationship, insinuating that Tom having an affair is not as bad as if he had done it if they were married. And he even throws out, like, it's not like you had kids. That somehow infidelity is even worse if uh, the partners have children together or have moved to a certain level of commitment. And I will say, I'll chalk part of that up to, like, how he seems to not know much about these people's relationship, but... If you watch the show and follow along, like, you'll know that Ariana had from the very beginning told Tom she didn't want to get married and she didn't want to have kids. Those were things that were, like, important to her for her life. And he agreed to still be in a relationship with her, knowing that they wouldn't have a formal marriage and they wouldn't have um, children, or at least children in the kind of, like, traditional biological heterosexual way. Because um, she did freezer eggs and yeah, whatever. That that part doesn't matter. But there is there was a point in the show where they bought a house together and Ariana basically was like, me buying this house with you is like us being married. Like, this is my commitment to you that I'm willing to go in on a house together with you and like, you know, t- essentially tie my assets up with you. And you can have all the thoughts in the world about that if you want. And that may mean not be the way you run your relationships or the way you view commitment. But in the context of this relationship, that both partners had entered into, the understanding was that to enter into this kind of agreement of buying a house together represents a very high level of commitment to each other and a high level of exclusivity. That there was no, there should be no concern, no no wiggle room, that this is not a monogamous exclusive relationship based on the context of this specific relationship. So when Howie says things over and over again, like, well, it's not like you were married or it's not like you were, you had kids, he subconsciously, suspiciously, I don't know, like maybe not blatantly, but in a way he's denigrating Ariana's worth in the relationship because she was not willing to be a wife or be a mother. That a woman who holds the title of wife and mother deserves like some kind of more respect than a woman who holds the title of girlfriend, partner, maybe even fiance. Like, I think he is pretty clear there's a hierarchy there. And that's misogynistic, right? To view a woman as being worthy of a certain type of behavior based on the title she holds in relationship to a man is, that's misogyny right there. Like, at that, at its core, that is a misogynistic way of thinking. Now, I think that sometimes this is a way that people try to make the situation seem better like well at least no one else like children were getting hurt or you know it's not like you had uh legally tied yourselves to each other in marriage and so that the breakup will be like less difficult that may be what Howie was going for but the message underneath all of that is if a woman doesn't hold a certain title and isn't bound to a man in a specific type of way then she doesn't deserve to be treated with things like fidelity and monogamy. So that's just the baseline that is going on throughout the interview, how he keeps coming back to this point. And I am here to say that it it is a misogynistic point. Another way in which it shows up is that Tom starts off the interview talking about, um, like, why he was in the headspace he was in to cheat on his partner. And he says... I don't want to say any negative things about Ariana and then proceeds to spend the hour, 20 minutes of the interview saying negative things about Ariana. He talks about her mental health. 
He says that she threatened to self-harm and threatened to kill herself if they were to break up. He talks about how, like, cold she was and how she wouldn't have sex with him and how she seemed disinterested in him. And, like, all of these things about, like, how horrible she was to him, but prefaced it by saying, I don't want to get into the negative things. Now, is that pure misogyny to label characteristics of a woman that you find to be unpleasant? No, like women can be unpleasant. I can be unpleasant. <laughs> I'm a woman who could be very unpleasant sometimes. Um, but this idea of like the the type of criticism he's weaponizing against her are the types of criticisms that often get weaponized against women of all like colors, shapes, sizes, genders. Like this is the idea that either a very cold woman or a very crazy woman is somehow turning the man into the victim in a relationship. And he tries to do both. He tries to spin both narratives about Ariana within the same interview, which is why it comes across as so unbelievable because it's like, just get your story straight, bro. Like literally get your story straight. So on one hand, he's trying to say that like, she was so cold. They weren't having sex. They, they didn't engage in any um, public displays of affection, which is untrue because they were on a reality show TV a reality TV show for 10 years and <laughs> there's many examples of public displays of affection, but I digress. He's spinning this narrative that she's cold, she's distant, she removed. And that's often a narrative that men pull up when they've cheated on a woman of like, she was so cold, my, my needs weren't being fulfilled. So I ended up seeking them in somebody else. So he's, he's trying to have his kind of like classic, narrative because it makes a man seem more sympathetic if it's like oh well you weren't being taken care of at home so you sought it somewhere else i don't personally find that sympathetic but i think kind of like more broadly culturally speaking that is a message that has been seen to be sympathetic the other narrative that he's spinning is the crazy woman narrative which often gets also <laughs> gets weaponized against women and is a way to also excuse particularly a man's behavior because, oh, if this woman is crazy, then what you were doing was just like to defend yourself. Now, he never says that she was crazy. I don't think he ever uses the word crazy, but he dances around it by describing her behavior in a way that is very targeted with a very specific narrative. So like I said, he brings up that she threatened to self-harm and kill herself, uh, which they bleep on the episode, which I thought was very interesting. Um, he brings up things like she was so depressed, she wouldn't go out, um, that she, she, he also insinuated that she like can't take care of herself at home, that like he has to take care of all the things around the house. Um, this was a narrative in the show as well that like she wouldn't buy furniture for their house or something. And so this has been a story that's been around for Ariana for a while that like she's so mentally ill, she can't take care of herself, which is insane because like. She manages several brands. She has a career. Like, if she wasn't able to take care of herself, she wouldn't even be able to be on the show. So I don't know why that narrative gets so much traction. But anyway, he's spinning this as well, that, like, the reason that he engaged in an affair was because Ariana was so mentally unstable that if he were to break up with her, he feared that she would do something to hurt herself. And that is, again, often a narrative that... People, I, I, not just men do this, but people use this to say like, well, I didn't do a hard thing or have a difficult conversation because this person is crazy because of X, Y, and Z reasons. And if I did have the hard conversation, they would, you know, fall apart. 
regardless of your mental health status, having difficult conversations is hard, right? Like people can fall apart and not have a diagnosable mental health condition and people can have a mental health condition and like tolerate a difficult conversation. Everybody has like different coping skills, different resiliency levels. Some conversations are harder for other people than than their friends. Like all of those things are really like individualistic. So to be able to to say something like, oh, because she was depressed, I couldn't break up with her. Like, oh, okay. There are tons of depressed people that get broken up with every day. They get fired from jobs that like shit happens to them. <laughs> like it like being depressed doesn't make the world stop around you. So either way, I'm just I'm calling BS on these reasonings that Tom Sandoval is giving for why he didn't go on. He didn't break up with her when he knew he had feelings for Raquel and wanted out of the relationship with Ariana. Just to recap, being a cold woman and being a woman with a mental health condition is not reasons to not have difficult conversations with someone. It's just not. And those are, again, misogynistic narratives that have been weaponized against women in the past and unfortunately continue to be weaponized against women. And when Tom is presenting these without nearly a pushback from Howie Mandel, that is the way in which these both of the men are working together to co-create this misogynistic narrative. Another quick glimpse of misogyny that we got is Tom Sandoval brings up his friend Tom Schwartz, who also was on the show and went through a very public divorce with his ex-wife, Katie Maloney. And the reason this came up is because um, part of the storyline on season 10 is that Katie and Schwartz are going through their divorce and Katie specifically set a boundary that she didn't want them to hook up with anyone else or date anyone else in kind of like the core friend group. And Tom Schwartz and Raquel, who ultimately cheated with Tom Sandoval, had some sort of like this very fake storyline about them like getting together. But it was very upsetting to Katie because she had specifically asked that they not do that with anyone who's in their friend group because she felt it would be like too painful. Now, on its own, like again, I want to do another episode about Vanderpump Rules because there's so much here. But like that issue with Katie and her ex-husband is entirely justifiable to set a boundary like that, particularly when you've been with someone for over 10 years and you're still navigating like the boundaries of your relationship now that you're no longer with each other romantically. And in fact, I think that is a great example of a way in which a boundary can be set to preempt harm and keep you in a place where you're able to be cordial with someone that has already caused you a lot of pain. So props to Katie. I think it's a great boundary. (laughs) The reason why it applies to Tom Sandoval is because in the show, he's very clear that he thinks that Katie is quote unquote crazy because she has this boundary. And he brings it up in the interview with Howie in the same kind of context where He is essentially saying because this woman set a boundary for herself, she's being unreasonable, she's being over-controlling, and she has no right to be upset that her feelings were hurt when someone deliberately violated a boundary that she set. And if he's willing to say that about his friend's ex-wife, what do you think he's willing to say about his own ex-partner? Again, it's a, it's a glimpse, and if you know the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and I don't want to get too much into the history of it, but Tom Sandoval has long had these little glimpses of things where, particularly when w- women are expressing emotions, he does not seem capable of handling it. And so I can imagine that one of the reasons he wanted to have his little affair and not break up with Ariana 
was he didn't want to tolerate Ariana's emotions because she's understandably going to have an emotional reaction to a nine plus year relationship ending. So Sandoval is telling on himself when he brings up this thing with Katie, he is giving us on a silver platter his opinions about women who have uh, emotions, which are, surprise, uh, most women, most most people have emotions and have emotional reactions to things, particularly around romantic relationships. Those can be incredibly sensitive because we open up ourselves to another person and it puts us in a very vulnerable position. This also ties into this point he brings up in the interview that he he immediately went to therapy after he had his first kiss with Ra- Raquel and then eventually asked Ariana to go to couples counseling with him because he wanted to break up with her in couples counseling. Now, this is a little aside here for my listeners. If you want to go to couples counseling for the express purpose of breaking up with someone and that someone doesn't know that's your purpose, couples counseling is not going to work for you. You need to be on the same page about why you are going to couples counseling. And if you show up and each have a different agenda, nobody can help you. I don't care if it's Esther Perel herself. Like, you need to have an understanding of why you're going there. Now, yes, you can be on two sides of the same issue. Like, a lot of people go into couples counseling for things like communicating or raising kids. And one partner has an idea about it and the other partner has another idea. But the understanding is we are going to therapy to work on this issue regardless of what the outcome is going to be. So if you're telling your partner, can we go to couples counseling to improve our relationship, but your real agenda is to end our relationship, I guess improving it by ending it, <laughs> then you you are not working toward a goal together because the other person has no idea what your intentions are. I took a, a year-long class on couples counseling that was really, truly wonderful. And one of the things they talk about is this idea of the therapist getting pulled into the middle of the relationship. The, the therapy term for it is triangulation. But basically the idea is when you're working with two people, like a couple or multiple, right? If you're working with a family, maybe you're working with co-parents and like their new respective partners or in a poly situation, any, more than one other person in the room, there is a possibility that the therapist can be kind of roped into the relationship dynamic. And each person in the room is trying to get the therapist to side with them, which is like a hundred percent reasonable, right? Like we all want people to defend us and like be on our sides. And when you're in that kind of intimate situation, being vulnerable, you're going to want to feel like you have somebody on your side. And one of the ways that this can manifest in couples counseling is that partners will tell the therapist secrets that the other partner doesn't know. So when you're working with couples, it's really important to have this idea of like, how are you going to handle secrets? Some therapists will say up top, they'll tell their clients before they even start therapy, this is what I do if you tell me a secret. Some therapists will refuse to hold secrets and will say, if you tell me, I'm going to immediately bring it up in our next session. Some therapists will say, if you tell me, I'm going to give you a time frame in which I expect you to tell your partner. And then by that time frame, we're going to need to talk about it in therapy. Some therapists will even say, if you're telling me secrets, it means you're not ready for couples therapy. And, I'm, and I think we need to end this situation. But overall, the idea is, is that if somebody in the couple or the group that you're working with does not, uh, is not truly being honest in the work, then the work is not going to work. <laughs> and I got that from the way that he described going to couples therapy with Ariana. He wanted her to go so that he could break up with her 
with an audience and basically have somebody else there to deal with her emotions so that he didn't have to do it. And she, from what he says, she was there under the impression that they were working on things like their communication, their relationship issues, with the purpose of strengthening so that they remain together. You can see how if Tom has the agenda we are breaking up and Ariana has the agenda we are staying together, they're going to be working in two different directions, right? Ariana is going to be doing things to improve the way she communicates to her partner, improve the way that she um, expresses herself, improves the way that she, um, you know, meets him where he's at in terms of things like love languages. And Tom is going to be moving away, separating himself mentally, psychologically from the relationship, starting to kind of like imagine life without her and working toward a place where he is independent from her. And those are diametrically opposed goals. So of course, couples counseling didn't work for him, like, because you weren't there with your, you know, your team being on the same page. And so my little PSA here is that one, couples counseling is not a way for you to like bludgeon your partner into doing what you want, right? I'm sure everyone listening knows that, but <laughs> couples counseling is is not to convince your partner to do something different, but it is to figure out together how can we problem solve this issue and how can we, you know, like breathe life back into our relationship. And it may be that you go to couples counseling for help with breaking up with each other. That's totally, there are tons of people who do that or they go to couples counseling to help navigate a divorce or to navigate a shift in the relationship. Like that can be the stated goal, but both people need to be on the same page or at least aware that one person is thinking about it. If you're going to go to couples counseling, this is PSA part two. If you're going to go to couples counseling, be on the same page and be willing to be open and vulnerable to the other person about what you want. Couples therapy is not a place for you to get somebody on your team to, you know, gang up against your partner. Couples therapy is a place to work on the relationship, to improve it in some way, whether that means ending it in a very healthy way or strengthening it so that it can continue. But everybody needs to be participating equally. And if someone has an agenda in the back of their mind while they are in therapy, it is not going to work if they're not willing to be open about it. So that was a long and winding road, but there are several other examples of Tom just making little comments about like Ariana would be really distant to him. Um, and then he, you know, he felt like she, she didn't love him anymore. So that's why he had to cheat. Or then after they went to therapy, all of a sudden she was being like super attentive to him. And that was still annoying because he was like, where was this months ago? Like all these little comments are like, he had already made up his mind about not wanting to be with her or wanting to be with Raquel. And he just wasn't able to own up to it at the moment. And it seemed like from what he said and reading between the lines, he wanted her to break up with him. He wanted her to, whether it was the couple's counseling, whether it was through him pulling away and ignoring her and not investing in her as much, he was hoping that she would do the hard part of breaking up so that he could have the narrative of he's a sad little boy who got his heart broken and luckily has Raquel to put him back together again. And he didn't get that. Instead, he has the villain edit. He is the villain of the story. And everybody is absolutely rallying around Ariana. The last thing that I will say under this kind of like misogyny headline that I think bridges into the mental health stigma t thread that I saw in this interview was 
the way in which he talks about the portion of the interview where he's talking about Ariana and saying that she threatened to kill herself or threatened to self-harm if they were to break up, he is getting increasingly angry as he talks about it. Like, his tone of voice is going up. His body language is changing. Changing. He is getting animated. And that in, within the context of that behavior, he drops the she threatened to kill herself. Whenever I see men talking about women with that tone of voice, and that is a tone of voice that Sandoval uses many times in the show. Whenever I see that, it gives me the ick, if you will. It gives me a bad taste in my mouth. It makes me my stomach drop because if that is the tone of voice someone is willing to talk about a woman with, then there is usually a sign behind that of unpleasant opinions or behaviors pointed toward women as well. I'm usually not so much of a tone police. I really don't think that that's necessarily the most productive thing to spend time on. But I think in this case, because again, I've seen Tom Sandoval do this at many times throughout the show, when he starts getting that tone of voice, it's when he starts ramping himself up about how it's not fair that women get to do this. It's not fair that men get to do that or can't do that. And it's not fair. And this and that and that and that. And usually the things that start coming out of his mouth when he has that tone of voice are some of the most misogynistic things you'll ever hear in your little life. And so the fact that he's saying that or having that tone of voice while he's talking about Ariana's mental health, to me, again, just demonstrates that he sees her mental condition as more fragile or more unstable because she's a woman. And Usually the conversation about women and mental health, particularly things like suicide and self-harm, there's this element of like, she's manipulating me by doing that. And him getting angry as he's saying this about her, to me, just sent the message of like, how dare she have a bad reaction or think about a bad reaction in response to me? She's trying to manipulate me. And to be clear, I don't think that happened. I don't think she threatened to kill herself. I really don't. I like. I don't know these people. This is my parasocial relationship getting activated, but either she didn't say that or if she did, that's a really screwed up thing to say about your ex-partner on a very public platform. So either way, whether it happened or not, the fact that he's bringing up in that tone of voice just, again, screams from the rooftops that he's painting her as, you know, this manipulative, mentally unstable woman. And unfortunately, that is the characterization that many women get, particularly when um, going through things like this on a public platform like a breakup. So that brings me to my last point that I want to talk about in terms of this interview. And that was the mental stigma that I saw just like on display. Now, I've talked about most of the examples in the context of misogyny because this is a fun little intersection between misogyny and mental health stigma. The wild thing about this part of the interview is that Howie Mandel starts the episode off talking about how his whole thing is about educating about mental health stigma and how nobody talks about depression, nobody talks about anxiety, nobody talks about all of these things. And his kind of rationale for bringing that up is that his understanding of why Tom Sandoval had an affair was because Tom Sandoval was depressed and anxious and acted in an unsavory way because of his mental health. So therefore, his behavior is not that bad because he was depressed while he did it. And it was a little shocking to see Howie Mandel say that because I I don't know much about Howie Mandel except for that he was like, what was it? The Not the Price is Right. Oh my gosh. Deal or No Deal. That was the show. He was like the Deal or No Deal guy. 
he like I know he's been on like American Idol and stuff like that and like he's around he's in the zeitgeist okay but I don't know much about him except for the fact that he's like a very famous germaphobe and like will not touch other people because his fear of germs and like a lot of his life is built around not like touching things that that might make him sick which I'm not diagnosing the man I don't know if he has OCD but it, it sounds like a little bit of an OCD thing right Sounds like something that is deeply impacts his mental health is this fear about germs, whether it's a full-on OCD diagnosis, an illness anxiety disorder, whatever, or just general anxiety about getting sick. His life has been pretty open about how that could impact his mental health. So knowing that about Howie, I was floored when he basically was like, well, no one should be mad at Tom because he was depressed and anxious at the time. He started the affair because my understanding of mental health stigma awareness is that we don't want to spread the message that mental health conditions cause you to act in ways that you would would not act or were against your like morals and values. That the idea that someone is having a depressive episode or experiencing a flare up in their anxiety does not mean that they all of a sudden are going to become like a horrible person and harm others around them. In fact, some of the core tenets of working around mental health stigma is helping people to understand that mental health or mental illnesses do not equal violence and that actually people with mental health conditions are more likely to be victims of violence than they are to perpetrate them. And one of the reasons we have to fight that stigma is because so many pop culture references of mental illness are people who commit like very violent or heinous acts like if you watch svu or law and order the regular kind or csi like criminal minds a lot of these shows the villains or the you know perpetrators of crimes will have mental illnesses and the you know kind of narrative is like their mental illness is the reason why they did their crime And while we could get into the weeds about, like, not guilty by reason of insanity, and there are times where mental health conditions become so severe that maybe people aren't in reality and don't understand that what they're doing is right or wrong, like, we're not going to go there, though, because that's not what this is about. (laughs) But the idea that, like, because someone is in a depressive episode, they would all of a sudden act, like, completely opposed to what they believe in or what they think is right is like, is unhinged. It's unhinged to suggest that in any way. And I'm sure there are people listening to this who experience depression, experience anxiety, experience other things like OCD, or have even experienced psychotic symptoms. And y'all are probably sitting there being like, I'm just a guy. I'm just a person. (laughs) Like, My mental health does not make me like cheat on my partner and do all of these things. Mental health is never an excuse to justify bad behavior. And if we talk about, if we go back to the responsibility versus blame, like just because someone is depressed doesn't mean they can't think through the fact that their actions might hurt someone. Now, I think there are times when because we're going through tough stuff, we unintentionally harm other people, right? Maybe if you're going through a depressive episode and you're a type of person where depression impacts your like social isolation or social withdrawal when you're getting depressed you like don't text your friends back and or you cancel plans while you're in the episode and yeah it hurts your friends feelings maybe for a little bit or ruptures the relationship in some way but the you know the harm there is not like 
over and above like harm that someone who's not depressed might do, right? Like not depressed people also don't text their friends back sometimes. There is also a big difference between like canceling plans with your friends and cheating on your partner with someone that she is a very good friends with. I just, the, aud- the audacity of Howie Mandel to give Tom Sandoval that out and then for Tom Sandoval to then repeat that several times through the interview. They're like, oh man, yeah, I was in a really bad spot. It was like the worst part of time of my life. And he even said, hopefully I'll look back on it and now see it as the best time of my life, which is like, okay, <laughs> that's fascinating. Um, but I'm sorry, that is unhinged and makes no sense. And it's just as stigmatizing about mental health as anything else. Dealing with your mental health can be really tough. It may take a toll on relationships. It may prevent you from living a life that you're excited about and motivated to live. Like, yes, mental health conditions can take a toll on a person's life. Mental health is not the culprit when you violate your own values, morals, or violate another person's. The only mental health condition that has a symptom related to violating the rights of others is antisocial personality disorder, which I'm not going to get into right now. I'm not saying that Tom has it. I'm just saying that if we're going to use this argument that Tom's behavior is somehow justified because he was depressed, like, let's be real about that. Let's be real about how depression actually impacts people. And yeah, maybe Tom's depression played a role in him not telling Ariana as soon as he could because depression can make you avoid things. It can make you, you know, not want to engage in conflict. But did depression make Tom Sandoval kiss Raquel? Did depression make Tom Sandoval have sex with Raquel? I don't think so. I really don't think so. And I don't think it's a good message to send that it could. I also think that globally, this is a way to gaslight people who have been cheated on. To put the blame onto a mental health condition is to give the person who did the harm an out. They There's less accountability to be had on them because they can blame it on their depression. If somebody tells you they cheated on you because they were having a panic attack, the pull there is for you to say like, well, I can't be mad at you because something else was going on. Like there was something else impacting your behavior. This is where I think talking about mental health can get like difficult because on one hand, I think there's been a big push that's been really important to talk about mental health like it is physical health, right? Having a mental health condition is just the same as having a physical health condition. You need treatment, you need to take care of yourself, and the just because a condition is not like visible does not mean that it is any less impairing. On the other hand, it's not a blanket like blame everything on it thing like it's it mental health is not like a thing that is separate from oneself that can just be like take all the responsibility for every like kind of shitty thing you do in your life right like people with mental health conditions still have agency over their own behavior for a lot of situations and so when that is weaponized as like because of my mental health I did this crappy thing to you It is a way to not let the other person have any way to, like, get restoration or get justice in the situation, right? Because you can't, like, get reparations from somebody's anxiety, right? Like, you can't get amends from somebody's depression. It just stops the conversation. So that's why I think it's kind of like a form of gaslighting that Howie Mandel 
is enabling in Tom Sandoval to say like, well, this all happened because I was in a bad spot. I've said it before and I will say it again. Your mental health is not your fault. You're not to blame for having a mental health condition, but unfortunately now it's in your lap and it is your responsibility. And you can make a lot of really good decisions and really take care of yourself and get the treatment that you need. Um, or you can use it as a weapon against other people. It's up to you, right? That's part of it being your responsibility. I think that Tom Sandoval decided to use his mental health as a weapon against his partner. And I think that's kind of screwed up and not fair. And it's really, like I said, just really mind blowing that someone who bills himself as a mental health advocate like Howie Mandel would then co-sign on that message. Okay, I have talked about this topic for way too long. I feel like my listeners who don't give a crap about Bravo are like, what is she doing? But I really do think it was important to highlight like the very insidious mental illness conversation and misogyny that went on in this interview. And I think that those things are going to continue to play out as we get to the reunion of season 10. So my hope is to, after the season 10 reunion airs and I have some time to digest and (laughs) process what happens, because I'm assuming it's going to be off the chain, um, I want to do another episode kind of going over this these issues and kind of talk about infidelity from the concept or context of psychology. Um, and this, you know, the ideas like, like um, family systems theories, you know, theories about like couples counseling and how relationships work. So that is my plan. This is kind of like a teaser. I'm sure you can tell from the way and in which I'm speaking and the speed with which I'm speaking that I'm very passionate about this topic. Um, it's, you know, Vanderpump Rules is like one of my guilty pleasure shows. I have no shame in the fact that I watch it. Um, some of my closest friends watch it or similar shows like it. And it's just, it's good fun. It's fascinating to watch. I am aware of the fact that they are real people, but they also are playing characters on the show. So I think the way in which I can talk about it is like talking more about kind of like the the characters and the stories that are represented um but yeah that is my take on the tom sandoval side of the story i'm really excited to hear ariana's side of the story at the reunion and i will definitely have more to talk about in future episodes so thank you for listening to this one and i'll see you in the next one bye bye